finally find your healthy balance. Welcome to the Healthy Balance Me podcast, a place where you can hear from experts in the health, wellness and fitness fields. Each week, I'll catch up with a variety of specialists who will give you practical advice to help you achieve your healthy, balanced lifestyle without missing out on actually enjoying it. Okay. So today, in line with the purpose of the podcast for this season, we're going to be talking around the subject of taking a holistic approach to mental health and wellness. Today, I am joined by Brendan Vermier. Brendan is a functional medicine consultant, a board-certified holistic health practitioner, a master nutrition coach, a master personal trainer, a USAW sports performance coach, and a CrossFit certified trainer. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me. That's a really impressive introduction and you've done a huge amount of things there. Could you start by telling us all a little bit more about yourself, um, what you do in your practice and the clients that you typically work with? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, I really appreciate you having me, Sarah. Like like we were saying, kind of before we started recording, I, I love doing this kind of stuff and connecting with like-minded professionals and you know, I, I love that in our holistic functional space, we literally are all trying to put our heads together and how can we figure out how to really evoke the, you know, collective uh, healing of, of humanity. And we're all just working together towards that mutual mission. So I, I think these types of conversations and platforms are, are so powerful. We, we live in the age of technology and information and it's really hard for people to navigate what's true, what's false information, uh, and especially with some of the censorship going on this year. So it makes it really hard for the average person, the general population, the masses to figure out how to live a, a healthy, happy life. So I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope this um, conversation helps and kind of educates and empowers people. So uh, I appreciate the kind words about you know the, the bio. I, it, I never get used to hearing my bio like read <laughs> to me because I've been on my own journey for a long time now. Uh, really, you know, it's the journey of my whole life and the journey of my career, which uh, is already 10 plus years, which is kind of weird to me because I don't feel like I'm old enough to have been doing anything for 10 years. But the reality is I started my career as a, a nutrition and fitness professional when I was 18 years old. And I think part of what has contributed to what I've been able to accomplish in, in the functional and holistic industry, I like to think maybe I have a different perspective because whereas most of my colleagues and, and friends and peers, most of them are either medical doctors or naturopathic or mm. chiropractic or dietitians or health coaches or whatever, but a lot of doctors and they do have a traditional medical background or whatever it is. And so if you kind of look at the different, um, you know, areas of study, medical doctors, especially, it's a little bit different with naturopathic, very different, you know, vibe, but especially with traditional medicine, it's, it is a very kind of myopic and reductionistic approach of studying pathophysiology and studying disease and looking at research of, what are the etiological factors, but especially healthcare and medicine, um, you know, take out the research. It's so focused on this is a disease state. What do we do to 
you know, mediate or manage or try to correct that disease state. And that's a very different thing than studying what leads to optimal health and performance. And Mm -hmm. so that's more my background is I come from how do we take somebody that, you know, uh, a lot of my my clients back as a personal trainer, nutritionist, most of my clients, what do they want to do? They want to lose weight and they want to feel better as a side effect of losing weight. And so it was more taking kind of somebody that is quote unquote medically stable, which I will say, I think we need to change the definition of medically stable because I don't think health equals the absence of acute disease. Mm -hmm. And especially if we kind of look at more okay, chronic disease that is brewing under the surface versus being medically unstable acutely. So mm-hmm. my point being, you take somebody that in my eyes, they're you know, metabolic syndrome and severely overweight and high blood pressure and dyslipidemia. And, you know, you name the, the slew of metabolic dysfunction and illness that comes with that. How could we really say that? Yeah, this person is medically stable and they're healthy. No, they're not. So <laughs> taking that person and then putting them into more of a fitness, nutrition and health coaching type of environment and program, it's all about metabolic health. It's how do we not only correct, but then optimize the health and performance Mm. uh, because we have to have health before we have performance. And so my point being, I spent so much time really studying the metabolic science and physiology and biochemistry of optimal metabolic performance. But then as you do that, you very quickly start finding yourself studying, well, okay, what factors help us reach optimal metabolic health and performance, but then also what things and factors might move us away from optimal health and metabolic performance. And so then before you know it, you're starting, you're starting to study like the root causes and etiological factors that drive different diseases and conditions. And so then here I am like 10 plus years into my career. And a lot of people in the functional medicine space know me uh, or say that I'm a mold expert, which I don't, I don't claim to be anything, but it's very endearing that people think that. And it's like, how the hell did I start as a trainer and nutritionist at 18? (laughs) But then here I am, yeah, 28. And I'm like one of the, the mold experts, like mold, where did that come from? So it's been a crazy ride, but that's a little bit of kind of my professional journey. And, mm. and I do, I, I really do think that's the beauty uh, and power of kind of the holistic functional industry is it is recognizing this whole spectrum of like optimal health and performance, um, you know, medical necessity and disease. And it's like, well, there's a lot of space in between that needs to be filled. And that's exactly what, what our industry does. So yeah. I primarily work with a lot of more, you know, complex cases. These are people that they've already gone through conventional healthcare and they don't have any solutions other than here's the drugs that you need to manage your symptoms for the rest of your life. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of my clients are actually health professionals themselves or health enthusiasts. Most of them, they already work out regularly. They already eat well, they already sleep well, they already manage their stress. Like they already have that foundation but they're still struggling with these chronic symptoms and health complaints that then we have to go dig and find, you know, what are those root causes that are driving that? So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. And I guess it's all those kind of things that your average doctor would look at somebody and say, well, you're not sick. So therefore there is nothing I can do for you. I can't 
help you. I can't give you a medication. You're not ill. But actually, there is yeah. something that's needed to help that person to step up to the next level and to to be healthier. Yeah, it's it's been a very eye opening journey. Um, and again, you, I think part of what helps me kind of look at it differently is like, you know, I didn't, I didn't get domesticated and conditioned through medical school. This is how you look at it and everything that is different or outside the box thinking is irrelevant. Mm. And, you know, the more that I learn about conventional healthcare, the more that like, I'm really impressed by the system we've created, but yeah, like it is kind of outdated. There's a lot of gaps. There's, there's a lot of advancements that need to be made. Like, for example, um, it really is just now that like celiac and gluten intolerance is kind of becoming really well known on a little bit more of like a mass population level. Um, and, you know, we have the testing for it. We have these amazing, you know, biomarkers. We don't have to do, you know, colonoscopy or endoscopy anymore to qualify IBD. We don't have to wait for, you know, the intestines to be really broken down and inflamed to be able to, you know, really measure and predict uh, celiac based on some of these biomarkers. And those biomarkers are available through any of the major medical laboratories that are used for conventional healthcare, but it's still not really like common practice for a gastroenterologist to be like, you know, have you considered celiac? Why don't we do this, this panel? They, they still will wait until somebody is really ill before yeah. then they might consider it. So it just, it takes so much time. And while we wait the you know, like 15 years for the science that is being shown in the research to trickle into medical practice. Well, you know, that's 15 years of people suffering and getting sick and dying. So yeah, we got to kind of start move it on. Evolving. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I have my own experience of that. And I've talked about it a few times on the podcast. My husband and youngest son both have a gluten and dairy allergy. And for a long time, we were taking my youngest son to the doctors and just it's IBS, it's this, it's this. And he had to go down the route of having a colonoscopy in the end. And it took a lot of pushing from us to, to get that diagnosis. But like you say, that, that information is all out there and it's all available for people. It's just not. Yeah, and I, I think part of the problem, and this is something, you know, I... I think I, I feel like I see too much in, in the functional and holistic health space. I think there's too much of an anti-conventional sentiment where mm. people are just like, I'm disappointed and, and I feel let down and failed by conventional healthcare and they suck. They're so silly. They're, they're dumb. And, you know, they, they do all that. And then it's kind of like, actually, if they just knew better, because in reality, like, you know, it's, it's microbiome disturbances and dysbiosis and leaky gut and, kind of like all these like pseudo diagnoses that, well, a lot of that is not like clearly scientifically established. And yeah. so we create this sort of contrasting dichotomy where I think in functional medicine, we, we really oversimplify and just kind of like, oh no, it's just like this. And it's that simple. You just need to do a, a microbiome test and map out your gut bugs and, and whatever. And it's like, the, the reality is the truth is in the middle. And yeah, I think we kind of get away from that polarization, you know, polarization, I don't think is a very healthy thing for humans. And 
I think we need to understand the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. Yeah. You know? And I guess the, the, the role that you're taking on is really trying to bridge that gap between the two. And traditional medicine genuinely has its place. You know, it saves thousands and millions of lives all the time with people who have chronic diseases and need medicine and need treatment. And then it's time for the other people to step in and say, OK, well, what was causing this? Let's try and look at the root cause. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's kind of funny about it. Um, there, there definitely are like some conditions and kind of key like root cause etiological factors that that by itself, you know, demands or creates the necessity for a functional alternative industry. Um, but outside of some of those key things like mold or Lyme disease or whatever, um, I really feel like if we just did a better job of educating the general population on how to live a healthy lifestyle and our culture and our media promoted that rather than censoring it and then forcing you to rely on the mm -hmm. drugs when you get really bad. I feel like if we just did a bit better with con conventional healthcare and did a bit better of just promoting a healthy way of life, I don't know that we would really need this functional medicine industry, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's really interesting you say that, actually, and particularly at the moment with COVID, um, there's a huge amount of talk about vaccinations um, mm. and the huge impact that that will have, and it's fantastic. But actually, a lot of people are saying, well, if people were more educated about living a healthier lifestyle, we wouldn't get to this point where they were so badly ill with COVID and that we need the vaccination as it were you know that the lifestyle has such a huge impact on your health outcomes yeah it's it is um sad and alarming kind of what's going on especially over here in america where uh, you know because I, I don't know how the rest of the world is doing but america is just not handling this whole situation well and it, it is awful to see you know i was watching the football game the other day and, you know, every commercial is fast food or processed sugar or pharmaceuticals that you should go ask your doctor about. And it's and then so we, we you know, drill that into everybody's subconscious and psyche through mainstream media. And then on social media, we're censoring medical professionals and health experts that are trying to help people learn how to empower their health. And then we're, you know, shoving vaccine propaganda uh, in their face of like, make your family proud, donate yourself to vaccine research. And it's like, I'm not at all against vaccines. I think it's it's an amazing technology that can be very helpful. But the way that we're doing it just makes no sense. We're promoting illness and depression and isolation and death, censoring anything that's constructive to educate and empower people on how to be healthier and then shoving this propaganda in their face. It's just so ba backwards. Yeah, it's crazy, crazy yeah. times. <laughs> okay, <laughs> so um, moving on to mental health then, uh, you know, same topic, you know, these crazy times. There's a lot of people who are really struggling at the moment and have had a really hard time over this year. Um, I've certainly had my own experiences over this year that we were just talking about uh, a little while ago, you know, that have had a huge impact on our lives as a family and and the need to sort of move forward and and it's accelerated some of the things that have happened in our lives so i think it's good to talk about mental health and the mental health impact of this um, the virus and what's what's happened over this year 
So I understand that you yourself have had some issues with mental health. Um, would you mind sharing with us how your, your experience and how you managed to overcome that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I think mental health is such a, a huge need, uh, not just for America, but, but the whole world. And I really have at this point kind of dedicated my whole career in life to trying to, to help with that. And it really is inspired from my own previous struggles and my own healing crisis and my own healing journey. And so, you know, it's funny where my, my business and educating and, and training practitioners and consulting with clients and, you know, mold illness as like a specialty, I almost look at that as like, that's more like my job and my day job. And I love it. <laughs> it, it you know, if you got to have a day job, like I, I couldn't pick a better one, but I look at my purpose as teaching the world a functional approach to mental health. So uh, it's so much bigger. It's a bigger umbrella and everything else. Everything that I do is really for that kind Links of bigger yeah. Yeah, mission. Um, so depression and, and mental health dysfunction and, and suicide is, you look at some of the statistics in America or across the whole world, depression is the leading cause of morbidity and disability in the world. Uh, you look at the psychiatric drug usage or suicide statistics where at least in America in 2018, suicide was the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 34, the fourth leading wow. cause of death for ages 34 to 55, and like the 10th uh, overall leading cause of death for, for all Americans. And that's in 2018, and I don't think 2020 is going to be better. Um, I personally have have lost loved ones to suicide this year. I've had a lot of, um, you know, friends and peers reaching out to me, telling me that they just lost somebody to suicide this year. So it is, uh, and the government, our government is not, they're not talking about it, but or doing much for it, but they're aware of it. You know, they, mm. they mentioned that, Hey, that what's going on is definitely detrimental to the mental health of our, our nation, but there's no clear solution in, until we get out of this crisis. But it all started for me. Um, it really wasn't until I was a teenager that I started beginning to recognize that I don't know that I had the level of mental health that I wanted or thought I should have. And obviously when you're a kid and a teenager, like you don't have enough of a sense of the world or life to really be able to qualify, like what is mental health dysfunction or what conventional medicine and society really just calls mental illness, right? Yeah. There's so much taboo and stigma around it. Like, oh, there's something wrong with them or, yeah. you know, they're, they're broken, they're ill. And all of this taboo and projection, which really just comes from a place of misunderstanding and fear, right? A hundred percent, yeah. And so, yeah, it, it, it's, and it's really sad. And so when I was 17 years old, that's the first time that I was ever put on a psychiatric drug, which was uh, an SSRI, Zoloft, to, you know, try to boost my mood. And of course, I'm 17. I don't, I don't know better. So I take it, didn't yeah. help. It made me feel worse. It had a lot of side effects I didn't like. I felt like a apathetic zombie to say the least. <laughs> um, you know, so I, I went through that. I, I worked between the ages of 17 and 22. I 
worked with like three different therapists. I was on multiple psychiatric drugs. At one point I was on Wellbutrin, a dopamine drug, Vyvanse, a dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine drug, and Adderall, a, another catecholamine drug. Um, you know, in meeting with psychiatrists and psychologists. And honestly, like none of it was really helping. Okay, um, that was going to be my next question. Did any of that help? Did, you know? No, I mean, I will admit that the drugs, especially like the Vyvanse in particular. Um, yeah, I mean, it boosted you. Like you look at what these drugs do and it's like, well, they do what they do and it can mm -hmm. help. It can work. And, you know, I want to say right now, I'm not at all against psychiatric drug use when it's needed and appropriate, but you look at some of the data and research and statistics, most people that are on psychiatric drugs have never actually met with a mental health professional. They don't have frequent monitoring. Wow. There's no holistic anything. It's literally like you get handed a psychiatric drug from your general practitioner as soon as you say, feeling kind of down, right? Yeah, so it's this it seems very... to be that first response, doesn't it? let you yeah. know I don't feel too good I'm feeling a bit down oh here have some medication to help them. yeah yeah you want something to make you feel better yeah and, and you you do develop a dependency on on the drugs for sure and you know something that I like to kind of throw out there and postulate because again like sometimes they are needed when somebody is really unstable and if we don't yeah. stabilize them you know they might take their life or hurt somebody or whatever it is so I, you know, but the thing is, it needs to be a last resort, not being dispensed like Halloween candy, mm -hmm. because part of it, um, I do think we, especially in America, we've really created a system that excessively relies and promotes drug pharmaceutical use, which in a way, like, doesn't that kind of enable our self-destructive behaviors? Because like, yeah. you know, I don't have to learn how to be healthy or happy on my own. I just have this drug that does it. Or like with diabetes and metformin, um, I don't have to learn how to be healthy uh, and regulate my own blood sugar because I'll just take this drug that does it yeah. for me. So and same with supplements. If you look at you it, don't have to eat a healthy diet. I can just take supplements. It, <laughs> Exactly. So at, at what point do we call ourselves out of like, we're really just enabling our own self-destructive mm -hmm. behaviors. So anyways, I, I did, I, I was struggling with mental health and going through all the, you know, just from teenager to adult, which is already a crazy time of life. But at one point I did find myself in the intensive care unit, breathing out of a tube. And then I found yeah. myself in a psychiatric ward uh, where I was literally locked up, not able to step outside or see the light of day. They were just playing around with my medications to see what makes him more stable. Um, I almost lost my life and kind of hit rock bottom. And it I sounds literally terrifying as a, a young of, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had no idea what was going yeah. on. It, was, it just felt like everything was upside down in crisis. And I think the big thing that really motivated me was uh, with the mental health. I never felt like there was anything wrong with me, even though healthcare system and society sort of points the finger of like, oh, there's just just a head case. There's something wrong with them. And, mm -hmm. you know, you they make you feel like you are this broken thing. And that's not at all true. And for me, I always felt like I don't think I have a bad outlook. I don't think I have like a bad attitude or I'm cynical or pessimistic, like, I just don't feel cognitively 
the way that I think I should. And so for me, I always felt like it was more physiological, not quite as much psychological. Um, And so that's really kind of what motivated my career. And I really started studying, you know, neuroscience and the metabolic uh, science of mental health in a lot of depth. Because I always looked at as like, I think the the psychology, the psycho-emotional work, I think that's actually the hardest part. Like navigating your own psycho-emotional, you know, whether it's unresolved trauma or your fear-based conditioning or whatever it is, I think that's a lot harder. Whereas what if you're able to pick the low-hanging fruit? So to me, the physiological healing opportunities that was the low hanging fruit. So like, I didn't know until I found out I'm really gluten intolerant as just one example. Um, And it's like, you look at how detrimental gluten intolerance can be on your neurological system. And it's like, well, what happens if you stop eating gluten? Like that gives you this big boost and that that's easy. You know, I didn't have to do any soul digging to figure that out. It's just like, there's no sort of stigma associated with that. I think the mental health side of things, we don't talk about it. So you don't know if you're so-called normal or not, if the way you're thinking and the way you're behaving, you know, is normal. So like you say, the low hanging fruit is actually easier to look at (laughs) and easier to talk about. Exactly. The, and so a big focal point of my work these days that I, you know, pour through the internet is trying to teach people, you have to do both. You have to look for those physiological healing opportunities, whether that's you know, food, food intolerances or different toxins, like mercury is a good example, or mold toxins or infections or inflammation, or, you know, there's all these physiological healing opportunities that you have to look for and decide which ones might be negatively impacting you. But you also have to do that psychological side too, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, working on that unresolved trauma, working on breaking those toxic patterns that you're just living out day after day and wondering why your life isn't changing for the better. So that's the hardest part though, is I always describe it like a yin yang, which is why my logo is kind of a brain yin yang thing, because you almost have to, the two things are compounding one another, but for the sake of clarity, you kind of have to draw the line down the middle and almost create a list of here's the things that I need to work on physiologically. So my body is healthy and Mm -hmm. operating well. And then here's the things that I need to work on psycho-emotionally for myself, you know, to create a different outlook, create new neural networks, create a different belief system that allows me to go pursue, you know, my dream life or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, you say for you, you're hugely gluten intolerant when you came off gluten and stopped eating that, did that have a huge impact on you? Um, it did, you know, it, it's subtle. Like obviously our, our whole world is addicted to instant gratification and we are used to drugs that as soon as you take that substance, it has this immediate and powerful noticeable effect. Whereas altering the input signals that you're putting into your body it can have a huge, but it's not overnight, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so, you know, gluten was a big thing for me or a lot of nutrient deficiencies that might be contributing to those chemical imbalances or I didn't know it at the time, um, but I was living in a water damaged house that had some hidden mold growth, you know, and that's super detrimental and, you know, gut health being a big part of your mental health and whatnot. So 
you know, I can't say that gluten was the single thing that dramatically moved the needle, but it was one of the major factors that I found to be deleterious to my mental health. So, you know, getting out of the uh, moldy house, eliminating gluten, improving my gut health, working on my nutrient deficiencies, taking some neurotransmitter support, you know, those were some, some of the key, you know, physiological things that I did. And when you do that and you notice that cognitive boost, you just feel better. It makes it a lot easier to work on the psychology when you feel good physically, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I guess when you're not feeling good physically, there's stress associated with that. There's lack of sleep associated with that. So again, all affecting you mentally as well. Yeah, and that's that's kind of the funny part about, like I, I do, I spend a lot of time digging through a lot of research and, you know, researchers and scientists, they are a different breed, you know, they, they're a different breed with the way that they think. And it is very like Petri dish and at times very reductionistic and myopic because the whole point, they're trying to figure out, you know, what molecular mechanisms seem to be the major influencer in some sort of physiological process and disease process. Because if they can identify like the main mechanism that has the biggest impact on the system, well, then we can create a substance that modulates that mechanism, you know, create a new drug, create a new yep. therapeutic. But when you really dig into the research, it, it just, it's like all these bubbles and variables in all of these, uh, you know, two-way arrows, like, well, this, 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 and it just <laughs> yep. makes your head spin. And so this is where it's like the, the obvious and clear solution is a more holistic approach. Like that's the only way to cast a wide enough net that you're positively influencing all of the pathways, all of the mechanisms, because you can't, you can't cherry pick, which is what they do in pharmaceutical science of, you know, you have, um, you have Crohn's disease. So here's a, a drug that blocks the cytokine that causes that. And it's like, but then now you're more susceptible infections because you're inhibiting your body from doing something that it wants to do yeah know, yeah in response to what you're putting into it so we have yeah. control over those input signals yeah and you know that makes sense when you think about it when somebody's telling you well I did this diet and this worked for me and I live my life in this way and this worked for me everybody should get seven to nine hours of sleep and we'd all feel a million times better and yes, you will if you get enough sleep, but you also need to be eating well. You also need to be getting some exercise. It's that whole holistic approach. Exactly. You know, I, I almost feel, and I guess this is just how it is. People these days, they need all of this technical jargon information and research in order to believe something. Um, but meanwhile, like, I don't think most people are just doing the foundational principles of moving regularly, plenty of nature time, plenty of laughter and fun, less stress, you know, whole food, clean diet, sleeping a lot, uh, whatever it is, like they're, they're not doing the self care. And it's almost like they don't believe in the power of the fundamentals. And they're looking for these, you know, quick fixes or, or way to biohack or what supplement and and why, what's the mechanism? It's like, guys, we are way over complicating this, but that's where I try to use some of that like mechanistic science to really just point people back towards the foundations because like in America with diabetes and obesity, just mm -hmm. rampant in our society, well, hyperglycemia is probably in my opinion, 
the main mechanism that causes neuroinflammation that then causes mental health dysfunction. So then before you know it, you're having conversation, not about depression and there's something wrong with you. You're having a conversation about your dietary and lifestyle choices are causing the inflammation in your brain that make you feel depressed. Yeah. So then it just points us back to, we need to just focus on the fundamentals of eating better, moving more, sleeping more, stressing less, you know? Yeah. And is that the work that you do with a lot of your clients? Do you go back to those fundamentals? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially what I do, um, I really don't do the health coaching. I have two health coaches that work for me and, and, you know, it's their job to actually coach people through, you know, how to be healthy and all that. Uh, and you know, I don't have a medical license, so I can't perform surgery or prescribe anything. So my role, I'm almost like the gatekeeper, you know, I look at the lab testing, I look at the data and I educate and empower them on here's what you should go talk to your doctor about. Here's what you need to go work on with the health coach. Here's what you can do for yourself to empower your life. Because from like a scientific data perspective, it, it's my job to identify the healing opportunities and then guide them on what they need to do to go work on that. But I can't do it for them. I, I can't give them the drugs. I, I, I don't really have the time or capacity to coach them and hold their hand through mm-hmm how to live a healthy life. So I am kind of like that gatekeeper of here's what the data says your body is doing. Here's what you need to go do with somebody. Let me point you in the right direction. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Find the right person to fit that box. <laughs> yeah. It takes an army. Sometimes you need the psychologist and the chiropractor, the health coach, the medical doctor, like you need, you need all of it. it kind of, kind of takes an army. It takes a village. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's a really, interesting way of looking at it from that traditional approach to um to health that a traditional doctor would take with you yeah yeah very very different it's it's all about education and empowerment whereas that's not at all what our healthcare system does yeah no absolutely (laughs) Um, and one of the things you mentioned earlier is inflammation and it's something that's come up quite a few times in the conversations that i've had with the um over this the course of this podcast can you talk a little bit about inflammation and how that starts and how that affects particularly our mental health yeah, so this is kind of the primary thing that I, I teach about, post about, uh, and, and speak at, you know, conferences and lecture about. Um, so I, I really feel very confident and safe in just boiling it down to mental health dysfunction. I, I don't like saying mental illness. I would rather say mental health dysfunction as in, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing wrong with you. You're not nope. broken or anything like that. Your neural networks and science and you know, physiology and chemistry is is impaired and dysfunctional due to all of these underlying factors. So to put it very simply, it's inflammation of the brain or neuroinflammation that drives mental health dysfunction. And, you know, so if you have, let's say, acute uh, brain inflammation, whether that's from a concussion, whether that's from, you know, hyperglycemia or you know, gut issues or gluten intolerance, whatever it is, it is that brain inflammation that causes the symptoms of depression or anxiety or insomnia or whatever it is. And then if that is left unchecked, you know, we, we all agree that, well, chronic inflammation of the body drives chronic disease. 
that same logic applies to the brain. Chronic inflammation of the brain leads to neurodegenerative disease and mental health symptoms along the way. And people will know it's about your neurotransmitters and your neurochemistry. And it's like, well, yeah, but inflammation is what messes those up. So we actually do see like the science is very, very definitive and clear on this to the point in conventional healthcare and pharmaceutical research, they already know this. They're working on anti-inflammatory drugs as the new uh, drugs for oh, mental wow. illness and psychiatric yeah. conditions. So the more like classic and at this point, slightly outdated model uh, is more like the monoamine theory, which is really like the brain chemicals, the neurotransmitters. So that's why, you know, serotonin drugs or dopamine drugs, those are the go-to, but because there is such overwhelming research and, and evidence that shows, well, really it's brain inflammation. That's mm -hmm. the culprit. So they actually have anti-inflammatory drugs in phase yeah. two clinical trials. And I guarantee you within the next you know, five, 10 years, it is going to be a new wave of antidepressants that are anti-inflammatory drugs. So then the conversation, they're going to make billions off of that. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> you know, it's like somebody is going to get very rich off of that. So the question then becomes, well, how do we decrease inflammatory mm -hmm. signals to the brain? You know, we see that neuroinflammation, it lowers serotonin, which is our happy hormone. It lowers dopamine, our pleasure reward hormone. It lowers GABA, which is our anti-anxiety hormone. And it raises glutamate, which is our anxiety inducing hormone. So I'm not saying that the chemical imbalance thing is wrong, but it's incomplete because it's really the inflammation of the brain that's causing, causing the chemical that. imbalance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 It's fascinating. And actually somebody's going to make themselves incredibly rich developing this anti-inflammation drug. But the reality is that we don't need that drug if we work on that inflammation ourselves. <laughs> exactly. So that's pretty <laughs> much what I'm doing with my career these days is trying to teach people that of like, well, you could just wait and take anti-inflammatory prescriptions. And, you know, some of the, some of the drugs that we have available, like the way that they work is really cool. And some mm -hmm. of them do actually have a certain anti-inflammatory effect. And that's part of what makes them effective. So we already know this, but yeah, it's like, well, we have so much influence over our body's inflammation. It's all about the environment we're in the input signals that we're putting into it, the food we put in our face or those antibiotics that, you know, so we have so much influence over that brain inflammation. And I think yeah. if we can teach and empower people on how to reduce those inflammatory signals to the brain, yeah, people are going to get better <laughs> on their own naturally. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And that's probably a really good place to finish actually with making that link between what you put into your body the signals, your environment, the food, everything, making that link between what you put in and how you feel mentally. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all about really adopting an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, which that sounds fancier than it needs to. It, it just, again, points us back to the kind of common sense things that we have forgotten. We, we have a lot of unlearning to do of what does it really mean to be human you know living an isolated life plugged into the virtual matrix eating fake food not moving like this is not the way that humans are supposed to be living and it is more of a 
I don't know, we could say like a primal or paleo lifestyle, we could call it a holistic health lifestyle, but it is, it's the whole food diet, it's the hydration, it's the sleep, it's the stress management, it's, you know, giving your body the nutrients it needs to, to combat inflammation, to boost those happy chemicals and decreasing all the things that hurt us, which maybe a little bit of a, a list for the audience of hyperglycemia and, and blood sugar dysregulation is one of the leading causes and contributors gut issues, toxins, infections, Wi-Fi and EMF. There's uh, so many of these. So I look at it as let's create that strong foundation of the fundamentals because that's what's most important. But then also like if you're already kind of doing that and still struggling, we might want to consider some of these other metabolic dysfunctions that might be really exacerbating that inflammation. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, that's brilliant. Thank you so much, Brendan. That's absolutely fascinating. I really, really enjoyed chatting with you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, if we want to find you, where's the best place to find you? On social media. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I really appreciate it, Sarah. I, I've really uh, enjoyed this conversation. It's great to connect with you and I uh, hope it was helpful for everybody. So on social media, uh, Instagram is my primary platform that I just put out, you know, free education to help people. So that's at the Holistic Savage. Um, <laughs> that's the name of my podcast. And then, which we do have a podcast, but then my website and my business is Metabolic Solutions, which is actually posted up there. Um, so if, you know, you want to connect with my business, Metabolic Solutions is what you want to look for. But if you want to just uh, get free information and education through social media, Instagram at the Holistic Savage would be the place to go. Perfect. We will definitely be looking you up. Thank you very much. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, and I really hope you did, please take a few minutes to add a star rating and a review. Please also share with your friends who you think may find this useful. Have a fabulous day ahead.